0: Check out schwans.com/yum for details.
2: Hey! Hey! All
3: right, yeah. Hey! Hey! A-cha. Hey! Hey! All right, yeah. Hey! hey. <laughs> <laughs> There's only one thing you could say.
2: finished 13-3, a 13-win season for the third time in franchise history. I've been dreaming this my whole life, have you, yeah. it's time to put in the work, yeah. every man gonna dominate, right, offense, defense, special team,
3: let's go! What are we talking about? Greg Zerline yeah.
0: sends the
4: Hey, 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 welcome to Rams Talk Radio for our Monday edition. We had took an extra day off because I was out of town partying, and Mike had a special thing going on yesterday. We'll see if he wants to talk about that. But we are here now live and live, we have a few things to talk about. We also have ourselves a another visit to the tour around the league with Stats Guy from the Blitz NFL podcast. He will cover the Denver Broncos for us. Mike, how you doing, man? Man, I'm doing
2: great big dc uh doing well so we're excited about uh this great day for our podcast so uh let's get it rolling so what were you doing
4: yesterday though
2: hey you know we uh just finished up the last bit of getting moved up here to central california and so family's all up school is out and so we're all here and now it's just unpacking a few boxes weren't you celebrating a little something something though we're celebrating graduation, absolutely, 8th grade graduation. So uh, we got another freshman heading into high school. So we had a good time with uh, young Tyler. Uh, that's our, we call him number 6 since he's 6 in line. So we are, uh, he's ready to go for high school.
4: Whoa, 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 hold on, hold on man. Mike. Of all the things we've talked about on the show and offline, I cannot believe I have not asked this question how many
2: kids do you have, man? Man, there are six of the Stuart Littles, if they call them. Yep. Six. Six. Six kids, yeah. You guys
4: got yes, busy. Sir. Wow. So <laughs> you've you had quite the life. You've been an NFL, NFL player. You're raising a family. Six kids. And you're still kicking down a football coach over at Bakersfield High School. Wow. Indeed. Okay, so now that we're, I'm done being nosy and, and digging a little bit into Mike's life.
2: <laughs> no, not we at all. Do got, three, <laughs> three what? Three grandkids as well. Three, three grandkids geez, as well. God. Yeah. So uh, yet, we're we're fortunate.
4: And yet, I remember watching you take the feel. How do you feel old when you get three grandkids?
2: No the the interesting thing it it actually makes you feel a little younger though. By age, it would seem that you're old. So. Uh, I guess that was one of the benefits of somewhat starting early.
4: Because you're chasing kids, basically. There you go. You're chasing kids. <laughs> That's right. All right, folks. So, hey, while he's you know getting over his little inquisition here, let's go ahead and let you know this This episode is sponsored by Jim Hawk and his book, Harlow's Team. We also remind you that we're available anywhere podcasts can be found on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Spreaker. You'll also find our podcast called Clutch Points. They feature an awesome app that puts loads of NFL and NBA information at your fingertips. Check that out, at clutchpoints.com, or download the app. Also, subscribe. We have hit the doldrums of the season, both with our podcast, because it's, my gosh, I can't believe it's only early June yet. We're still a month and a half away from football. So we're getting the head start here, trying to get more reviews in. Check it out. We have a, a review contest for Apple. One lucky one will get $75. This is how it works. Head over to Apple. Leave a five-star review. Then send us a copy of your review, like just a screenshot, just so we know who to enter into the contest, because names differ from Apple to your email or to Twitter or whatever. Email us at at gmail.com and we'll also read your feedback on the show. So the big news this week, Mike, is... Carson Wentz, Philadelphia Eagles quarterback, signs a massive deal. How massive? A four-year, one hundred and twenty-eight million dollar extension with a whopping hundred and seven million guarantee. I have to—I literally quoted "whopping" from Cameron DeSilva over that Rams Wire with this article because that's just ginormous. It's an average of thirty-two million per year, and well. Now the ball is getting closer and closer being in the Rams court with Jared Goff, also Dak Prescott's up for his extension as well. I guess the first thing I want to ask you about this is what does this do in terms of setting the market for Jared Goff?
2: Well, that's the, the thing that goes around and around every time we're talking about salary caps and things like that. We hit on a little bit uh, last week in regards to Technically, you don't always have to be what is ever whatever is considered the best of the best. You just need to be at the right place at the right time. So for Jared Goff and whoever loves or doesn't love, you know his play at this point, or thinks he's a you know franchise quarterback, the thing that's going to be is what this is. This does set the market. You know, obviously, you got Patrick Holmes is out there which is now he's looking at it, so obviously it sets the market. The thing is, whoever sets the market today, because of the situation on these other teams, namely the Rams, it's going to get reset here pretty quick whenever they redo his deal.
4: So in the end, do you think it's going to be Jared Goff who then sets the market?
2: Well, it seems like the Rams, if they're true to form, they usually like to hold out until the very end and that's what you know i was kind of mentioning last week is i think that they may let him play it out this year kind of look see but now that this contract's been done it may make them speed up but my my gut is he may play this year out and then if he does well the rams they're going to get hit in the pocketbook
4: i think they are too i don't think honestly I know so many people looked at this contract and thought, okay, this is gonna be the table setter now for what the Rams are gonna do. I don't honestly, I don't really believe it has the impact that people really think it is. If anything, it just kind of verifies what we already knew. I think if anybody here and paying attention to quarterback salaries, I would say any one of us would have estimated that Jared Goff will get between thirty two and thirty five million a year. I think if anything that is affected is the guaranteed money, when you're talking $107 million guaranteed, now the are have to look at that and go, well, there is the placement, not the total money. I think we all estimated 32 to $35. i am thinking now probably closer to 35 but I think we'll, the impact of this deal is only going to be guaranteed money. And quite frankly, I'd rather have the guaranteed money out of the way instead of worrying about the... The, re- the renegotiation can come with a contract later. There is There are advantages to having a guaranteed contract. Let's just say that.
2: Oh, no doubt. And that's where a guy like Carson Wentz and the rest of the guys who sign these mega deals, and they're looking at the guaranteed money because everyone knows if it's not guaranteed, that's not money you actually make. You get that paid on the back end after you play game after game after game. But guaranteed is guaranteed whether you play today or not. And it then gives you a little comfort in knowing, well, if they're giving me this amount of money, they're actually going to make sure that I'm on the field playing or allowing me to play or allowing me to even work through my slumps and different things like that, as opposed to, Oh, this guy's not playing well, next man up, let's go. So, this solidifies who's going to be the quarterback, whether you like how he's playing or not. You know, and I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, some of the injury history he has and all that good stuff.
4: Well, that's actually why I think the Eagles only signed into a four-year deal. And this is the reason why I believe the contract is not as, it's not going to be as effective towards the Rams. It's not going to affect their game at all as much as people think it will. Because I think Jared Goff is going to be up for a different kind of contract. He's been healthy doesn't have to prove his health to anybody. I think the reason why the Eagles gave him a four-year deal is because after four years, if something doesn't work out, they can let him go and move on. Whereas with Goff, he's been healthy. He's been proving it. I think what they want to see is his mental growth overall to then give him at the end of this next contract a longer-term deal. You want to lock a person in. Because locking a person in now saves you money. If that's your guy and... He's going to be your guy, and that's who you 100% believe in. It's better to lock him in long-term. You lock him in at that rate. That's how much he's making. And then down the line, you never have to worry about this again. A short-term deal, a four-year deal, means Carson wants to free agent again in four years. What's to stop him from asking for 40 or $45 million if that's what the market is? So I don't think this is what Rams fans are taking this to be in the market setter. I think the only thing in some market setter is a guaranteed money. I don't believe... That Goff or the Rams, for that matter, the Rams especially, are going to be looking for a four-year deal. I think they're going to be looking for a six, seven, eight, nine, ten-year deal and lock him in through his peak years and save money down the line. Because the salary cap's going to keep going up. It'll keep going up, and they'll have him locked in at a set rate, long-term.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the goal, but we also know if we take some history and, and we look at what used to happen or has happened with the Aaron Rodgers typically Aaron will be the highest paid for a little bit and then not so much. And then his deal gets renegotiated. So it's not unlikely that even though they've signed Carson Wentz to this four year deal, that if he actually, you know, plays at a high level for the next couple years and now golf is in, uh, Patrick Mahomes is in, you know, some, someone, someone else is in, uh, it's not like they can't come back to the table and renegotiate on the re- renegotiated deal that they've just done today. So that's kind of what is always a little bit forgotten that, yeah, it may be a deal, but it's not like they're going to make him play four years and then renegotiate. They'll see how he goes. And if he's playing well, they'll renegotiate after probably two. If he's not playing well, they'll try to dealing at that point in time. Well, I don't know about
4: that either because I think you're looking at Aaron Rodgers and say even going back some years, Joe Flacco, other quarterbacks were paid big money, and we don't. I guess we don't know what kind of add to Jared Goff has. Is Jared Goff going to be satisfied? Let's say signing a six-year, seven-year deal, right, where he's going to make thirty-five million ish ish, because <laughs> who knows how the market will change between now and then, and then allowing the Rams to gain some salary cap room o- over time as the contract stays at that steady rate? Or is he going to look after three or four years and want a bigger extension or a big renegotiation like an Aaron Rodgers would? What do you want? We can look at history and say, hey, Aaron Rodgers wanting all extra money? Did it really work out for him? No. What about Joe Flacco in terms of winning football? Did it, did it work out for Joe Flacco? So, what kind of per, what kind of player is Jared Goff? What does his attitude towards the team and being successful while also making his money? We don't really know that yet. Jared's pretty quiet. He's almost people we've talked to who have been around him a little bit quote, call him quote unquote a little bit aloof. And by the way, that's not a, a jive or a jab at Jared Goff. You need to be a little aloof to kind of just stay away from the distractions of the game, but. We don't know what his priorities are long-term. So it could backfire, might not.
2: Yeah, no doubt. And and that's where it comes down to the individual. But you got to also think, D.C., these things aren't always controlled by the player. He may say, look, I'd rather have comfortability. I've made my money. I just want to be here, finish my career. Agents, union, pressure from other players jump in. You know, whether it's direct or indirect, and go, no, don't start lowering the cap. Don't start lowballing so it messes up for the next year because they want to see a contract that goes on top of Carson Wentz. That if Jared gets that, it goes on top of Patrick Mahomes. If he gets that, it goes on top of not something like, oh, well, he's just going to be a good guy. And now he's now become new. Well, well, we'll use Jared Goff instead of Carson Wentz. So by indirect or direct pressure, those type of deals are gonna keep going up because nobody wants to be the person who now lowers the market.
4: Well that's why it's advantageous for both men, well not men, but both the front office and the Rams to try and get them set long term. If you have a long term deal in place, it's easy to just sit back and say, Hey, I'm on a contract. Don't push me to do this, this, and this. And people can kind of forget about you. It's the people who are on the clock, so to speak, who are under most pressure. I think that's why if you – we're going to learn a lot, I think, about Jared Goff and his character this next contract and what he's looking for. If you want short-term, if he's wanting to make his money, he'll go earlier. If he wants either long-term stability, um, if he's looking more towards winning, if he, we're going to find that out as well. You know, I look at guys like Tom Brady who signed – Cap who has been signing cap friendly deals for a long time, even Peyton Manning, he was getting paid. I don't know how the Colts worked it. Peyton Manning signed a lot of team friendly deals, even though he was making good money out of it. So I want to see how they do this, uh, both long term and short term. But I don't look at this contract between Wentz at the Eagles as being the market setter, except for in guaranteed money. Just to wrap it back around.
2: Yeah, and 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 I think that's what we were talking about in regards to well, the whole idea of. Letting Went, I mean, uh Jarrett play out the contract or possibly trading him or he's not. And maybe Sean McVay or whomever is thinking, well, we have a system here. We don't necessarily need to make the quarterback, you know, three quarters of our, our cap paid out in salary. We can get someone who can fit in, lower the cap whether it's, you know, a journeyman backup or someone out the draft, which obviously would be better because you can get them on a rookie deal. Uh, but the thing is going to come down, and this is what forces teams' hands. Remember, we got the new stadium that the Rams are going to be moving into, you know, so they want to be able to fill the seats. Are they necessarily going to fill the seats if everyone thinks that, okay, the Rams aren't really trying to win anymore anymore? They're just trying to make cap friendly deals and make more money. No, they're going to make sure that the public at least feels they're getting and they're paying for the best product that's going to be on the field. So I think that's where the leverage falls into uh, the players. But, you know, as we talked about, you have this idea of, of a possible work stoppage and those type of mm-hmm. things. So uh, I agree. If the Rams are smart, they're going to try to jump on, and we may see you know extended deal here pretty quick, just to to get this over with and and somehow be a lot more cap friendly for them going forward. So yeah, I
4: think just one more thing about it too. I I know they're talking about next summer doing the deal, but we're seeing a lot of. Little clips, a lot of little leaks coming out through the newspaper, through online, about how much the Rams really do value him and how much they do want him around long term. And that, to me, was a reaction to Mike Florio's little bit. I'm waiting to see how relevant that is. But I think it's pretty relevant. If the Rams really didn't believe all that stuff, you know, in terms of about Jared Goff, they don't have to say anything, but they're sending message that they do want him around, and the reports coming out of OTAs on Jared Goff have been positive. We're going to get to that next. But before we do, we do want to go ahead and give a shout out to our sponsor, Jim Hawk. Most of us are probably addicted to anything Los Angeles Rams. Well, if you want to learn more about the Rams history, we'll be at a personal touch. Check out Jim Hawk's Hollywood's team grit, glamour, and the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. The book tells us the story of the 1950s Rams through the lens of Jim's dad John, who was an offensive lineman for the team from 1953 to 1957. Check out some stories of father and the team he played for in era glitz, glamour, and future Hall of Famers. Rebound players like Norm Van Brocklin, yes, the, the Dutch. Oh, like Chris Hirsch, Tom Fears and Les Richter in the story spent the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. You can find Hawk's book online at Hollywoodsteam.com and on Twitter at Team. It's available in hardback, electronic form, at Amazon, Barnes & Noble. And you also you can find the book through various other booksellers on the net. Folks, the paperback's are also coming out September 6th. I read it from cover to cover. It's worth every penny. Oh, and by the way, as if I haven't said enough... All benefits, all proceeds go to Homeboy Industries, which is an organization coming out of Los Angeles that works on getting people out of the gang life and making them into productive members of society. Check it out. Hall of Grit, Glamour, and the 1950s Los Angeles Rams by Jim Hawk. It's well worth your time. It's really, whenever I read this ad off and, and talk about the characters here, two of those players, Norm Van Brocklin and Elroy Krasnoy's Hurst, I did the edits for for the um the upcoming book on the 1951 Rams that's Rams coming out, I believe, in 2021. And so just learning more about Van Brocklin and Hirsch and, and these characters that were in that era, it's well worth it. Trust me, I get, I get to see some more stuff close up on it, and it's it's a good read. So, all that said, other stuff here. Um, Vinny Bonsignor just had an article out in The Athletic today about about what to look for as we head into the three-day mining camp coming up this week, a lot of goods and bads from the OTAs. One thing he focused in on was the ask of Todd Gurley. matter of fact, we got a and a question today from Brack Whitley on Facebook. He asked, what's going on with Todd Gurley? We've talked about it some. I, I guess one question to ask you, Mike, is are you worried about that at all, about Todd?
2: No, I mean, the, <clears throat> excuse me. the good thing is, being the off season, you get t- a chance to heal, rehab correctly. When you're in the season, everything is just trying to get you through week to week. So, off season, time to let you just either stay off, do some things that are more constructive to getting you ready for the season. Uh, but it's it's a little interesting that you know I saw an article that said that you know the injury may have been more of a sprained knee than just what they let on to be that was a little more significant than what he even thought himself. So uh, not so much worry. You know, that's what the offseason is for. <clears throat> but there's still some question marks.
4: I think there are. I just don't think the Rams played this as if they're distrusting, hey, he's going to be fine. They re signed Malcolm Brown, who I believe could be a starter in this league, if he could stay healthy, by the way. And they go out there and get the dynamic – Daryl Henderson, who many people believe was the best t- running back out of this last draft, so they are putting people around him to protect him. And honestly, if that if that's what they do, fine. If that's how they're going to work it to keep Gurley fresh all year, that's a great idea. It's better long term for his career. I'm not worried unless the Rams are really sending the signal that well. We went and got Malcolm Brown back, and we went and got Daryl Henderson to replace Gurley. I'm hoping that's not the case. If it's just, hey, Brown and Henderson are there to work in tandem here to help give him space, give him some keep him fresh, then the Rams did a great job this offseason.
2: Yeah, and, and that's a thing that, you know, we talked about, you know, it'd be great for us to just be sitting in on some of these discussions if you're a fly on the wall on what the actual thought process on why certain things have been done or, or are being done. And I definitely agree that They put themselves in a position to have some protection if certain things don't go right. I mean, we know what Todd Gurley brings to the table. We know that they have to actually game plan to stop a Todd Gurley when they play the Rams. Obviously, if he's not there, the game plan changes. But if you have, uh, you know, backups of people who can actually fill in at a high level, not so much just fill in, then that changes the game plan that from week to week they can't just now scheme you up to stop you and make you play one hand that they still have to honor the run and pass. And so that's what you get with Gurley guy who can run a ball guy who can catch the ball, uh, a guy who elevates those who are around him because there's some tension, attention put on tar Gurley when he's playing. So obviously that allows other people to be a little more open, uh, make other plays when they're trying to do whatever they're doing to stop him. But, it'll actually be interesting to see how this plays out. And we'll know probably early on in preseason, uh, again, on the number of reps uh, Big Todd is getting compared to, you know, maybe last season.
4: And right away too, the Rams have a big decision come preseason as to what they want to do because last year the Rams opened with Oakland. Nobody was scared of Oakland. This year the Rams got the Panthers, the Saints, and the Browns right away. That's, a tough start to your year. Can they afford to let these guys sit the preseason again or not? Do they need him some reps beforehand? That's a big question we're going to have. Uh, now, also, by the way, in the same article, he mentions Jared Goff and the offense. One thing I want to quote here he wrote, One thing that really stood out in OTAs is the obviousness that this is an offense going into his third year under the same coach. Okay, later on he notes, The face that familiarity and decis- decisiveness is fourth year quarterback Jared Goff who has looked completely in charge with his operation and leadership inside the huddle, at the line of scrimmage, and in actual execution. Quite a bit of that has been against zone coverage looks, which gave him trouble last season, and in particular against the Patriots in the Super Bowl. So, this is what I expected, by the way. After the Super Bowl, so many people were were really hard on the Rams about not adjusting. And, to be honest, it's pretty well-deserved. It wasn't like it was a surprise that the Lions pulled some stunts on them, the Bears, the Eagles. At some point, the Rams have to play chess here and adjust. And judging from what venue wrote here, and by the way, read the article, folks. It's in Today's Athletic. It's a pretty good outline of what they saw in OTAs leading to minicamp. This is, to me, a good sign that they're playing chess here. They're not playing checkers. They are adjusting. They're making changes to adjust to what NFL teams are expected to do heading into 2019.
2: Well, you know, like you hit on in the first part of it that talks about just the familiarity of having same coaches, same system. Things be start to become more second nature, and then you're able to ad lib and do things on your own. So that's a great thing to hear that uh, those things as far as a player and the offense itself is progressing overall. That's what you're talking about. All these guys, it's not just Jared, it's all of them, the linemen, the running backs, the receivers. They know a lot more second nature, you know, except for the new guys who are just been that have just come in. But everybody's working more second nature as opposed to learning and oh this is how we do it. So that's exciting to know. But it's also to be expected, but like you said, other teams are still going to be game planning a little bit better. And if I may digress You can't forget, Bill Belichick is pretty much known as one of the greatest minds (laughs) to coach defense. So it's not like they were playing, you know, a rookie defensive coordinator. I mean, you're talking about Bill Belichick. I mean, he's had some great defenses and with not so much great talent. So that guy knows how to coach.
4: And he had a great game plan. And he obviously did his homework on what the Rams were weak in one more thing here that Bolsonaro notes about Goff and that is one, let me just quote one more time but if OTAs provide any evidence the Rams seem more prepared to teams deploy a similar game plan circling so back to Goff and the command he's showing it makes the idea of Rams walking away from him at the end of his contract seem all the more ludicrous so apparently we're speculating and we should by the way, it's our job But the Rams appear much more confident You mean I'm part of the media now? Well, we are. (laughs) But I think the Rams appear much more confident in him than what's been let on, judging from the notes we're seeing here.
2: Oh, absolutely. And like you said, you're playing chess, not checkers. That's part of it. You want people to think that, oh, we got a quarterback that can't do it. Oh, we'll be able to do all these things to him when we play him. And then you find out, oh. We misjudged everything and now you're caught in the bind because now the score is thirty five to fourteen and you're losing.
4: Yeah. Ooh. Okay. So inside linebacker here is another part he talks about. There's a it's still a question mark. Alcohol tree's been gone now for a while, Corey Little steps in, and now the Rams cut Mark Barron. So in comes Micah Kaiser, and the word is he looks bigger, quote unquote bigger and stronger from this time a year ago, and he looked more than the starter's part. During practice, again, a quoting there. So, it looks like Michael Kaiser is ready to step in. We'll see how he does under the bright lights and so on and so forth. He is still basically going to be a rookie position. But this reminds me to a story that Nolan Cromwell told me when I interviewed him a while back. And that was how the Rams in the 70s basically drafted him, told him, we're going to sit you for a year, you're going to play in special teams, and then you're going to step in. And it seems that the Rams are taking that approach across the board with their rookies. A Kaiser being the next man up an inside linebacker, so if that's the case, I'm not worried. I thought he should play should have played more last year. I liked what his credentials were coming out of college. I thought the Rams were, got him as a steal in, I believe, it was the fifth round for him. I believe he was an early, you know, third fourth round guy, the guy on the fifth, and he's exactly what you need in that modified three four, which is a run stopper in the middle. I'm I'm happy to see. That's what what they're talking about in camp. The death behind them, though, that's concern. Bryce Hager, uh, Travin Howard, Dakota Allen. We don't know exactly what the Rams are thinking there in terms
2: of behind those two guys. Thoughts? Yeah. So I mean, the 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 key is bringing along a guy for the right time, the right reasons, and things like that. That's the advantage that Wade Phillips and the rest of the defense and Sean McVay and all those guys when they're evaluating they know the timing of things where we don't we just see something and we go oh man you know they need to do this they need to do that oh yeah we know they need to do that but they know when the timing is right for all those things to take place that's what they get paid for paid for and that's why they're there each and every day as us we see a game you know we don't have the The inside, except we hear from some guys that are reporting what's going on on the inside behind the big green fence, I call it, uh, because they got everything tarped up at Rampart uh, where they (laughs) practice. But so you got to be actually on the inside. So, yeah, it's, it's exciting to see that a young man like him can be brought along. And then prayerfully, the thing is, when he steps in, he's actually ready to go and he'll make a big, big difference. So, yeah. They, they should be ready. And, and and truth be known, the Rams, at least going back as far as even past my years, they've always had guys, even like a Jackie Slater. I mean, he wasn't a first round pick, but he turned into a Hall of Famer after sitting like three seasons. So uh, they've had a chance and, and not to toot my own horn, but I was an eighth round pick. There was a basically a six year starter for him played I'll everything for you. So. <laughs> I'll shoot it for you. So Eight they've they've pick, been man. good at their their you know, scouting departments and things like that of finding guys. And just like you mentioned the running back, uh he's probably gonna be a, a, a great find for us as well.
4: Also, real quick, just to mention this is the there's questions about the defensive line with Nadal Sue down in Tampa Bay, you have Aaron Donald and Michael Brockers back at tackle and end respectively. There's other names being talked about, most likely Greg Gaines. Um, Vinny Bolson, mentions Sebastian Joseph Day, who put a ton of work in the offseason to try and step up. And he may surprise us as well. Tenzel Martin, Tenzel Smart's out there. And, of course, other names are popping up. Clay Matthews, he's been hands in the dirt. He's been an outside linebacker, also rotating inside. So kind of what we expected with Clay Matthews. And we can't forget John Franklin Myers, who was very impressive as a pass rusher, as a rookie when given the opportunity. So it appears the Rams don't have a whole lot of, of star power outside of their two guys there in the defensive line. But a lot of guys who are looking to make a role and earn their spot, we'll see what happens there. And the weird thing I noticed about Finney's article, no real mention of the offensive line at all. Um, is that a good thing or a bad thing? When all the notes about the good and bad... No mention of the offensive line. What are your thoughts there?
2: Yeah, I think it's it's good because I think we get what we need to know from the fact that they're talking very highly of how Jared Groff is doing. You're not doing that if if your O-line is not doing something positive in these OTAs. So I'm going to take the cues from golf's Improvement. That the offensive line is giving him even though you're not playing against anyone that's really trying to attack you, but They still have to be making their line checks. They're still going to be running stunts even though it's not all out So you still have to learn how to make your reads and all that stuff So i'm gonna take my cues from the fact that jared golf has been highly praised this offseason And that's because of the o-lines play All right, so
4: a couple more things here. We did promise a little bit of a Q&A and and this one comes from Austin Magier, one of our one of our really loyal listeners. He asked, have you noticed the Rams not so silly advertising of Everett this offseason? Do you think he's truly coming on that well, or does a team just need a story? What are your
2: thoughts? Uh, I'm sorry, what player?
4: Gerald Everett, tight end.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, I've looked at some reports. He's had some strong weeks, so... And, and we've talked about how excited we are that the Titans we have on the, on the team are actually players that they're going to find a way to get more involved this season. So, man, happy to hear that. But I think Jared Everett is going to be, be a great find. I think he's going to be a lot more, have a lot more utilization this upcoming season. season.
4: I believe so, too. I believe they've been really working to get him involved. And I think is what they want to let people know. I think they, they've heard the questions about Jared Everett. I think they've heard people like us saying come on, he should be developing more by now. And I think they're suddenly letting people know, don't worry about that, we got it. You know, we like what we're seeing. I think if they don't like what they're seeing behind the scenes, they don't say anything. Why in the world would you let your enemies across the league know you're having problems at tight end?
2: I mean, right. You played the game, am I wrong? No, I mean, you just don't randomly just let everybody know what's going on i mean part of the prep and off season in season is there's always a little bit of deception i mean it's always like the injury list sometimes you look on the injury list and go man okay they're trying to make us think like that guy's really not going to play he's playing or you see a guy that you think is going to be there and they wait to the last minute and they'll take a fine and all those type of things, yeah. But nobody really tries to just play their hand and go, oh, yeah, we're losing in this department.
4: All right, so there you go. Last question. This one's actually for you, good sir. I did put that out on Twitter. to, Hey, come ask the pros questions. Eric Ho is actually a member of our staff. I wanted to know what were your most memorable plays in the 1989 season? Man, he got specific with you.
2: Oh, wow. Well, that's easy. My most memorable play probably is we went and we we're playing the Giants. And it was literally right before halftime. And uh, for whatever reason, Phil Sims got greedy or tried to throw some. And I got an interception and took it down. And we ended up, I believe, kicking a field goal off that play, which is made a difference in the end because we end up tied and that's how we went in overtime and then the whole flipper anderson play so that was probably one of the most memorable situations for myself was the 89 uh second round playoff game against the giants
4: well there you go any other plays
2: for well that season, there's that stand out for you well there's that one and then you know there's also uh just playing in the NFC championship game, even though we got swallowed up by the vaunted 49ers back then. But the idea that you were literally one game away from the Super Bowl, that was pretty big. And, and though we lost, you know, had a pretty good game. Uh, and that's probably the next one that, of knowing how close you were to the Super Bowl. And then never getting there. That was that was pretty interesting. But yeah, that was a, that was another big game.
4: So, folks, we are always open for questions. Don't wait until we put a call out for Q&A. You can email us at RamsTalk945 or send us a voicemail at 657-666-5453. Speaking of which, if you want to sponsor us, those are the places to get a hold of us, RamsTalk945, gmailcom and again, 657-666-5453. We have a media kit ready to get out to you. We also have a podcast, another another podcast covering the Angels at talk, as Talking Halos. Check it out if you are an Angels fan out in the area or anywhere else around the world, we've been looking at the Dodgers. I don't know, maybe Mike will to do a Dodgers podcast. He just gave me a look like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's busy enough. So, we we'll are working on that one. Eventually, that'll make we'll make that fly. And now, the last segment of our show today, we do have with us Stats Guy from the Blitz NFL Podcast. Funny dude. He's here to cover the Denver Broncos as part of our tour around the league. Check it out. Alright folks, I'm here with Stats Guy. and There's a reason why we call him Stats Guy from Bliss NFL Radio. One of our favorite shows to, well, chat with come NFL season. Basically, it's time
1: for us to drink when we're listening to a show. How you doing, bud? I'm doing great, and and for those of uh, of your listeners who haven't talked to uh, or heard me before, they're uh, they're about to learn that stats guy is an ironic name that we have. So anything you really really need to know, any core data coming out of my mouth, it's I, I probably don't have it. So anyway, so ask away. Let's let's talk football. Let's
4: talk some football. You're here
1: to talk to us about the uh,
4: the Broncos this uh, this time around. The Broncos, to us, have been a, a bit of a mystery over the past few years, basically ever since they won the Super Bowl. It's just how they've gone, well, downhill, I guess the best way I can say it. This is a franchise that normally is one of the best in the league, but the big problem appears to be developing a quarterback. So how do you best evaluate the 2018 Denver Broncos, and what positives could you take
1: from the season? Okay. Um, well, uh, 2018 Broncos. Here we go. May. Meh. That's about all I got. Meh. And um, but it, the best part about, um, the best part about what happened with the 2018 season was wholesale change moving into the 2019 season. Uh, I think I speak for a lot of Broncos fans out there when uh, when I say that watching this team play and execute was the most beguiling thing I've probably seen in the last 25 years watching the team play. Uh, looking at some of that, I'm going to quote some stats. Oh my God! So when I look at some of the <laughs> stats of how this team should have been playing and how it should have related, re- uh, it should have relied on some of its strengths in 2018. It's like they were doing the exact opposite of it. I mean, we were one of the best rushing teams in the NFL last year. However, we decided that we were only going to rush the ball 39% of the time. You know, and rely on the you know, the heavily touted case Keenum to get us through all of our games. Um, you know, So that made absolutely no sense. And another thing that happened was that Case Keenum consistently is one of the number one rated quarterbacks in the NFL when he's running his play action. And we were the last in the league running play action. So like this stupidity knew, knew no bounds of how this coaching staff was running the squad. So I am thrilled to see the end of the very short and painful Vance Joseph era. And uh, really, really excited about what's going to be happening with uh, with Fangio coming in. Well,
4: he's also an older coach, too, so I'm kind of wondering, are you guys a little concerned about the fact that he's now a 61-year-old guy taking over his first head coaching job? And there's still that whole quarterback thing
0: going on.
1: Well, I love the fact that Fangio um, could be theoretically a grandfather to most of the head coaches in the NFL now. In fact, we started talking about the new head coaching changes and how if you added up all the ages of the new head coaches, they actually equal how old Vic Fangio is. So uh, I love the experience. I love the going against the grain thing. Um, The challenge that, um, that I have with all of these young head coaches coming in is that Hey, you you know, you share a cup of coffee with one of these young dynamic coaches uh, that are out there, including your guy uh, or Kyle Shanahan. and oh, good God, now you've got a head coaching gig. Um, I think that the NFL is uh, a lot of the teams have a sheep mentality, and I think that they believe that they need to move in this direction. But at the end of the day, you know, with the exception of a few head coaches out there, your number one job is to be a leader and an administrator. That's your gig. And throw the red flag every once in a while. But that's your thing. And, uh, you know, we certainly didn't have that in Vance Joseph. And I love the idea that Fangio is a guy, he's pretty no nonsense. And so he's going to bring some of that. That hardcore, old-school coaching style, which can rub a few players the wrong way, but it certainly was lacking in the Broncos' locker room for the last three years. So, looking at the actual quarterback situation, the, the part that I keep coming back to and picking on,
4: you guys, they you trade away Case Kingdom, you get rid of Paxton Lynch, you trade for Joe Flacco, and you draft Drew Locke. Do the Broncos finally have an idea of what they are doing at the quarterback position? And do you believe the right staff is in place to help develop locked for
1: down the line? Um okay. Great question. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna answer that in a couple of different ways. So uh, do we have the current answer at quarterback? Absolutely not. In fact, all we did was we just traded for Case Keenum 2.0 bringing in Joe Flacco, uh, you know, I get that he was injured last year and that he rode the pine, um, but when I was looking at how he was performing in 2017, uh, his stats are virtually identical from what we got with Case Keenum last year. So it's just a, we just lost a fourth round pick. That's all we got for getting Flacco in the door. Um, and the thing that actually I found most bizarre is, was that Flacco had arguably his best season in the NFL when Kubiak was his offensive coordinator. So who's the guy that the Broncos make sure don't stick around this year? Kubiak is the offensive coordinator. It's like, what are you guys thinking? We could have gotten some production out of this guy. I was actually excited about the fact that Kubiak could have worked with Flacco running some of that play action, some of that misdirection stuff. You got Philip Lindsay coming out of the backfield. I mean, you've got a couple other dynamic running backs that, you know, Royce Freeman and Devontae Booker. I mean, these guys can all catch the ball and run and make it happen. They're great guys for him to dump the ball off to and yet ugh, so he's not here. So anyway, your question was also is Drew Lock the answer? Well, you know, I'm going to give that a solid maybe. And the reason why I'm going to give it a solid maybe is that um Elway doesn't seem to know how to pick quarterbacks. Now he gets a bad he gets a bad rap because people talk about how many quarterbacks he's drafted and none of them have stuck. Well, he's really only whiffed on two quarterbacks. Right? He whiffed on Osweiler and he whiffed on Lynch. Those were his high picks that were supposed to be his air parents coming through the door the other guys were so far down in the draft that we didn't really expect them to hang around anyways and case keenum i think when you and i talked about this last time i was on the Mm -hmm. show he's like he's like star trek movies like he's only good every other year and he just had his down year with the broncos and he's i expect him to do very well for the redskins when he shows up because that's how keenum works uh so You know, who knows if Locke is going to be the answer? The thing that I've been very impressed by is that his numbers improved over his college career. If you look at his completion percentage, which is the thing that I tend to hang my head on, on whether or not a quarterback can play in the NFL, because very, very few quarterbacks out there have a lower, uh, sorry, can improve their completion percentage when they move from college into the NFL. Matt Ryan is like one of the lone exceptions out there. You know, you can either complete passes or you can't. And what I appreciated was that Drew Locke looks like um, through some good coaching, his completion percentage has an opportunity to rise beyond the 62% that he had in his final year in college, which is really cool. Um, So, you know, the the jury's out. I mean, I keep hearing from experts that he could be the new Jay Cutler. Whoopee. You know, or he could be the new (laughs) Matt Stafford. Whoopee. (laughs) But he's a guy with a big arm. He's got a little Brett Favre in him. I think the most confounding thing for experts is that here's a guy with great deep ball accuracy. Um, and then he'll, you know, you'll love him for that. And then he'll like overthrow a guy doing a seven yard cross for some reason. Like, so I, I think that, you know, the coaching staff's really going to have to start working well. With Locke, I do like the idea that our uh, we do have this guy, um, uh, Rick Scandarello on the staff now um, because he was really great working with Mullins down in San Francisco and uh, seemed to take that kid out of nowhere. And he had a, some phenomenal games playing for the 49ers. Not crazy about him being uh, in the OC, but you know if he gets a chance to really be hands-on with Locke, I mean, who knows what's going to happen.
4: Well, speaking of the other moves going on in the Broncos, what were their best and worst decisions in free agency this year?
1: Okay, uh, you know, you know, it's interesting. Like when I first heard that they they signed Juwan James um, at right tackle for the Kings ransom, they brought him in. I was like, you know, uh, that's a lot of money to be spending on some dude um, because. Generally, the the thinking out there is that if you're happy with your free agents, you're not going to let them get away. Now, I get there's some exceptions to the rule out there, um, but... You know, our offensive line was absolutely putrid last year. And when you look at the percentage of cap that Denver spends uh, on the offensive line, it's incredibly low. So I really like uh, bringing in Juwan James and then bookending him with, uh, you know, you've got Bowles on the other side. Um, I think that that's, that's a recipe that can work if, if Bowles actually tries to figure out how to stop holding people. Um, but, I, you know, it... The problem that we had overall is that even though we we found a way for Philip Lindsay to get some daylight out there uh, and get some yards on the ground, um, it was still it really still felt like uh, Keenum was on, under a lot of pressure, and so to buy us a little bit more time, I think is going to be uh, a great move for us. You know, in in terms of what we lost, I I think people point to Matt Parody at center, letting him get away to Carolina. Um, Folks that don't know the Broncos would say something like Bradley Roby at cornerback, because now it looks like that, you know, our... Our, our you know, defense trying to shut down the passing attack down there. Um, you know, we've, we've lost really our, our key pieces that got us through in, into our Super Bowl win. Um, I didn't really like Roby's game at all. Um, if you watch a lot of Broncos games, he's not, uh, he's not a really great man-to-man cover guy. Uh, he seems to make a lot of mistakes. The guy that I'm going to miss, well, actually I'm going to miss two guys. Um, I'm really going to miss Brandon Marshall, who they, um, who they let get away to Oakland and also Shaquille Barrett. And and not because these guys were huge stat monsters, it's because these guys were we these guys were our grinders. These guys are the are the ones that you knew were going to be amped up when they're on the field and we're going to miss some of their energy going forward. And I also know that Fangio's defenses that tends to rely a lot on the inside linebacker picking up the tight end. And you know, we're slim pickings now. And uh, so I thought letting Brandon Marshall go was a was a big mistake for us. So then, all that in mind,
4: you have the draft, you've already covered Drew Locke. What about those other holes that these guys left behind with the draft? Were you pleased with the haul that you got from the draft, or you know, what's your, what's your take on it?
1: Yeah. I mean, I what anybody uh, who follows the draft would know, uh, which generally isn't me, uh, would say that apparently there was a lot of value in the second and third round this year. So the idea that Elway started to trade back out of that 10 slot, um, I think that was a very smart move for us. Uh, We we've been thin at tight end for a long time. Um, even when we had Julius Thomas, uh, who caught 10 touchdowns one year from Peyton Manning, that was pretty much a 90% Peyton and 10% Thomas. Um, because and you saw that when he left in free agency, he just disappeared. So, you know, the idea that we can bring somebody in like Fant, um, who's really, really speedy, who's not a really great blocker, but he's a guy that's going to release and do well for us. I think that that makes a nice security blanket for Flacco as well. Um, and, uh, so I, I, really, really liked that pick. And I also liked that pick at the lower end of the first round. You know, I think Locke, I mean, if we go back to him, I mean, this was a guy that was potentially projected as a first round dude. So for us to pick him up at 42, I thought that was a great, great pickup, um, and, you know, and the guys after that, I think, are projects. And so, you know, we went heavy on offense. Our first three picks went offense. And then we started to get uh, some of the defensive picks in there. My belief is that once you start lapsing past the fourth round, and we didn't have a fourth rounder because we ended up trading it away, um, you know, we're, we, we've got guys that I think are success for them is they make the roster. So, I mean, I think the big first three picks that we have, um, I do like Risner as the right guard. I think that even though he lacks some athleticism, um, I think that he's uh, he's proven himself enough that he's going to be able to support that, and he's expected to start when he comes in as well. So I love uh, I love uh, you know beefing up that offensive line. So I was pleased with uh, with how it went, and I was also pleased that we were able to pick up Locke, uh in the second round like we did. Oh
4: man, you got a steal in Risner. No joke. <laughs> we
1: we had him on the
4: show. We we got we watched lots of film on him. You got a steal with him. We had him as low rent lower first round talent and you got him in a great place so congrats on that that's a great pick i'm 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 not even kidding we want well, I mean, so bad
1: oh well i mean we appreciate it and i mean i think you know what we tend to do when we watch the draft casually is we look for the the big name sizzling picks right like we want the mm-hmm. you know that the wide receiver that everyone's talking about or the quarterback that everybody wants but I mean, let's be straight. I mean, this game is played in the trenches. And if you don't have the right guys who can gel well with everyone else, you're not going to see success. And so, you know, the idea that we've brought in somebody that high um, in a, in this draft, I feel very, very good about uh, our offensive line going forward. So putting it all together. Last question, I promise. How
4: far away are the Broncos from competing for a playoff spot now? And how many wins do you see from them this year with the schedule they have?
1: Well, I mean, the AFC West is only getting tougher, right? So, I mean, well, I guess that depends how many Chiefs uh, you can find uh, on film somewhere. They might have a team <laughs> going into the next season. You a felony. But <laughs> um, the, I, What I really like is that what Elways is talking about here is a wholesale culture change. And um, I think that by bringing in Fangio, he's really, it, it's really sort of his last grasp at We need to change things over in order to move this franchise in a different direction before I think finally he starts looking in the mirror and saying, hey, maybe it's me. Maybe I can't do this. Um, But I think Vance Joseph let this team get away with lots and lots and lots of stuff because he wanted to be liked. And I don't think it's your job to be liked as a head coach. I think it's your job to go out and win games and be a leader for your franchise. And so Fangio, I think he's a no-nonsense guy. I think he's going to be a culture change guy. Um, And I think that you know we're going to see whether or not he has the right pieces in his DC and his OC moving forward. If he doesn't, we'll move on. But I think you'll have probably a three-year window in order to make sure that changes. Um, Do we have the right pieces now? No, we don't. I mean, if, if Locke actually starts to develop terrific but i don't think that we're going to see him this year unless flacco you know gets run over by a car so i think they're going to ride out the flacco thing they're probably going to find out what everyone in baltimore has known for some time is that he's he's at the tail end of his career he's not in his prime like elway says i was, I was just was the, gonna
4: say though he might
1: get hit by that car well and, and mean, the thing is but but then you got a then you got a bona fide rookie who is going to be a deer in the in the in the headlights. I mean, I I think the expectation of fans nowadays is that you can take a kid fresh out of college and throw him in the NFL and he's going to flourish as a quarterback. I think it's a fallacy. <laughs> you know, by and large, they generally need to, they generally need to sit and mature and learn and hopefully they're sitting behind someone that they can learn from how to become a professional quarterback. Now there are exceptions to the rule, but um, you know, I sure hope that midseason, we're not begging to get Lock in there because Flacco is so terrible. Um, we're light on offense. We tend to spend most of our money on defense right now, and that's obviously taken up a whole lot by Vaughn Miller, but I'm really, really excited about what we can do on defense. All I am looking for is for us to be serviceable on offense. So I think that going into this season, I would be thrilled if we had an 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7 and seven kind of year. Let's call that. That's my Jeff Fisher approach. That's what I would like to see.
4: All right. Well, can you let folks know where they can reach you?
1: (laughs) That was a heck of a way to end it, man. (laughs) I know. Sorry. I don't want to leave it on sour note. But I didn't talk about the Super Bowl, so you should be fine with that. Uh, You can find us at BlitzFootball.com or uh, if you look for us on Blitz NFL, anywhere uh, you find podcasts, you'll uh, you'll find our show. So uh, anyways, tune in. You probably won't learn anything, but you're going to laugh your ass off. Well, tell them how to get a t-shirt, too. Oh, my God. Well. I mean you go to blitzfootball.com of course you could buy one we love that but you know you follow us on twitter and every once in a while we uh yeah, that's blitz, fo- blitz at blitzfootball. uh you know as soon as we hit certain benchmarks we give away t-shirts too so uh come and give us a follow on twitter and uh you'll see what kind of lunatics we actually are yeah i've
4: been trying to score one for free for a year now and i still have not been able to do it so it makes me sad <laughs> gosh all right dude thanks so much for coming on the show. i really appreciate it no trouble thanks for having me on right, thank you All right, so here's the question for you, Mike. You played eight years in the league, am I right? Eight years in the NFL.
2: Ten seasons. Ten Ten total.
4: What's wrong with me? Okay, you played in Denver at some point, did you not? Yes. All right, so what was it like playing in altitude in Denver?
2: What's like playing in altitude? It's crazy because you literally, until about the second quarter, you're just out of breath. Uh, but the thing I always remember about Mile High is how strong John Elway's arm was, really. He made some throws. Like, who is he throwing it to when you turn around? Oh, shoot, Vance Johnson is way back there. <laughs> Go chasing. Literally running one way and just said throw all the way 60 yards like, whoop, oh. But remembering that was a big thing. The orange crust is real. The altitude is real. You just can't catch your breath. That's why those places like Mile High, Miami early uh, season when it's hot and it's humid, or Buffalo late season, Green Bay when it's freezing, you just can't really uh, acclimatize or get acclimated quick enough over a day or two that you fly in, and those teams literally have an advantage no matter what anyone says. So when teams win late in the freezing places, early in the hot places, they've had a good day.
4: So then how the heck do you explain the, the debacle in Cleveland the last 20 years?
2: Yeah, you, have would think, yeah you would think they, at least on the weather they would have, but again, when you're just so bad, you get snake bitten that, you know, people just don't even pay attention to all that and they win, they get up on you and, you know, you got heaters on the sideline and different things now, but yeah, you would think that those, at least the last Four or five games that they play at home that just because of weather would put them in the win column,
4: and that may finally change this year. By the way, that Browns team is is pretty stacked. They've they've done a great job building that roster in the last couple of years. Makes you wonder how the heck the Browns failed for the last eighteen years, nineteen years of that stretch to build anything at all. All right. Yep. Yeah. He's like, yep. <laughs> yep. <To> agree. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> alright folks it is time for us to hit the road don't follow us on twitter at talk and on facebook facebook.com forward slash rams talk we have the rams talk room group you can find me on twitter at derrick cipolla which is actually no. At, find me Derek cipolla on twitter at dcipolla and you can find mike here at one duke 23 don't forget us on itunes which is now against apple music Stitcher, your sound android we're pretty much everywhere and com. they play our shows on Wednesdays and Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific time. So, Mike, any closing thoughts today?
2: No, man, just excited about, you know, all the new guys that have come in, uh, you know, the Eric Weddles and the rest of those guys that are seemingly gelling really well. So, man, excited this offseason is moving along in a positive way.
4: But in a slow way, man, this has been a slow, slow (laughs) offseason. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) All right, guys, for the entire staff here at Rams Talk. This is Derek C. Paul saying take it easy and we'll talk to you on Wednesday night. Have a great one. We're out of here.
2: We're out of here.
3: The NBA is back. Where else can a city this loud be this left on?
0: And 30 feet is still in range.
3: Where else is history? Still in a make. The
1: NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV.
3: Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network.